This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. All right, welcome to The Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host Brian Gill, and we just want to we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Brian. Merry Christmas, Brad. Man, we made it through another year. We are... That, you know, we, we usually let these uh, podcast episodes, you know, sometimes we're scheduling them six months out in advance, but this one is uh, this one is in real time, really close to Christmas. So we're not just yeah. pretending like it's Merry Christmas. This is Merry Christmas. No. I'm sitting over here. I can see my, my Christmas trees are glowing. And uh, I've even got a hat handy. You can't see it on the podcast, but I got my Santa hats handy. Man, that look good. Yeah. I'm a Santa in training. My my beard is not white yet. It's it's very red. <laughs> but uh, shoot, man, it's been what a fun season so far. It's been for starters. It has, man, and, and some of the guys that we and and ladies we got on the podcast this year, uh, and just you know they were we we made a list a couple of years ago about yep. some names that we would really like to have on the podcast, and this year a couple yep. of them came to uh, fruition. So. Man, just happy to have uh, have those and, and be able to share those stories with our listeners. Yeah, and man, looking forward to, man, I wish we could share some, but we're going to hold our, our cards close to our chest. But man, we're sitting on some for next season that are so exciting. I'm so excited. I mean, for I, man, I, goodness. We, we honestly cannot, can't pick a favorite. And, you know, we've already got four of them uh, under, under our belt. And yeah. I mean, there are. You're, you guys are going to love it. You're going to love the stories. You're going to yeah. love the guests. You're going to want to go buy books. You're going to want to go give to charities. I mean, this is this is yeah. a, a a great season coming up. It's good. Yeah, but we're we're closing out this one. Uh, we got one more episode after this one, but um, as this one you know, comes out on this Monday of Christmas week, uh, we wanted to share uh, another excerpt, another short story from your book, Brian. Uh, I've so enjoyed reading these stories, Fireside Tales for Christmas, um, Brian, that you, you published. And we got that's available on Amazon. And we uh, have a, you know, now you're getting slowly but surely an audiobook version of Fireside Tales for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but we're, uh, this episode will be, you know, one of the stories, the last story in the book, um, The Christmas Pageant. Um, man, I really, really enjoyed reading it. Well, uh, as I, I read through it, man, I was it was just such a sweet story, and uh, just wanted to hear a little bit, Brian. Like as you wrote this and envisioned this story, what were some things you were processing as you wrote? Yeah, you know, um, you're really kind of say that. Thank you, Brad. Um, and and I cannot wait. I haven't heard the uh, the audio version of it, but. Um, I know that it is going to be just as good as you did last year with Hidden Wonders, and uh, thank you for reading that one. Uh, I know. Yeah, well, I, it's not going to be quite as uh, quite as uh, I don't know. I didn't go too crazy, you know. Uncle Doc was pretty was pretty, but a pretty special character. Yeah, uh, I didn't um, give as quite as much flair to to Julius, um, um, the the character, sort of the, uh, the eccentric character in this one, because um, yep. he wasn't. I didn't go full Uncle Doc on him, but uh, you'll be able to tell who he is, but it's not quite as uh, 
distinct as Uncle Doc. I, was, I just felt super inspired with old Uncle Doc. <laughs> every time so. I every time I hear it, I think, oh man, I really want hot chocolate right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, but no, I, 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 the the story is um, it follows a, a family, a, a father and a, a a son who has a disability, and a uh, his daughter, and um, they're trying to navigate this new waters of being without a mom and a spouse uh, in the holidays, and you know it's a it's a sweet story. It's one of those that kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit. Um, oh yeah. You know, but it's a happy ending. I don't want you to read it or listen to it and think, oh, man, I'm just going to be sad for the holidays. It's not. It's it's their their hope is that they are able to redeem the sadness. And, uh, you know, listening to some feedback that we've received and, you know, looking at the analytics of our two most listened to episodes of our podcast over the last three years have been Dr. Hugh Cheek. Mm-hmm. And the loss of his two daughters, and the uh, and, and Rick Burgess with the loss of his son, you know. So we're we know that the the community, a, a grieving community, is very strong. But within that grief, you can also rejoice. You can also have joy, mm-hmm. and you know it's okay to be happy and sad at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I think navigate i think people need that help navigating grief uh, navigating excuse me grief mm-hmm. um yeah and it's a very real part of our life and man i loved the way this story uh talked about it and uh, visually it was you know it was beautiful in my mind's eye as i, I read the story growing up in sort of a small town i could s- certainly envision you know what some of these places look like and you know a lot of the smells and the thoughts of old buildings, you know, mm. all those things come rushing in uh, when you read a story like this. But uh, I really enjoyed it, and I really hope people people enjoyed it as much as I did reading it and recording it. So it was a lot of fun. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you for uh, thank you for wanting to do that. And and uh, I hope hope that people can just kind of enjoy it, just have it as a, a part of their Christmas week. You know, we're excited about the holidays, but you know, sometimes holidays are hard especially if you've gone through loss, you know, like you and I, you know, we both lost our dad in the last few years and, um, it doesn't get easier. Um, yeah, it's just a little bit more familiar. Well, man, I appreciate it. And I hope all of our listeners enjoy this short story and enjoy Brad's reading of it. And we will see you all. in. uh, you have one episode after this and then we have the next season will begin uh, in a couple of months. So, Enjoy the Christmas pageant. The neighbors hid behind their curtains and peered through the blinds as the tow truck drove off with the Hopewell's only vehicle. Terry Hopewell grimaced as his eight-year-old son peppered him with questions from the seat of his wheelchair and his 16-year-old daughter buried her face in her hands to hide her embarrassment from the judgmental onlookers. It had been eight weeks since Terry was laid off from the mill where he worked construction, and just as many weeks since he had made a car payment. He knew this day was imminent. Though he tried to assure his children everything would be okay, he wasn't convincing them or himself at the moment. 
the last few years had taken a toll on everyone in his family, especially since the car accident two years earlier had paralyzed his son and taken the life of his wife. But most recently, the latest blow to the Hopewells was Terry losing his job. But he was a strong man with a strong faith and needed to be strong for his children. Feeling the weight of his family on his massive shoulders, he took a deep breath and sighed. Let's go inside, kids. I'll see what I can find for dinner. I can't eat, said Casey. My shift starts at five, and how am I going to get to work now? Terry thought about how far away the grocery store was where Casey worked. Living in a small town like Madisonville, it was only about a mile away, but she'd have to walk along the highway for a small section of her trip to get there. The thought of Casey walking alone by the same horrible road where a drunk driver had killed his wife terrified Terry. He couldn't bear the thought of that, so he said, Come on, Ben. Let's get your coat. We're going to walk Casey to work. What? No way. We can't walk to the grocery store. What if, what if somebody sees us? Oh my gosh, it's going to be so embarrassing, protested Casey. Daddy, can we stop by the library, asked Ben. They're lighting the Christmas tree tonight. Sure, buddy, said Terry. Sweetheart, he said to Casey, I, I know it's not what you envisioned your year to be like. It's not what any of us thought it'd be like. But we need to stick together and make the best of it. It'll be an adventure. They might can take away our car, but there's no bank that can take away our joy if we stick together, said Terry. Now we'd better get going or you'll be late. Are you ready for a ride, buddy? I'm ready, exclaimed Ben. Terry pushed Ben in his wheelchair and Casey walked ahead of them to the end of their neighborhood, then the long, narrow sidewalk by the highway where the cars whooshed by them violently and finally onto the quiet streets of downtown to the grocery store. Alternating decorations of lighted reindeer, Christmas trees, haloed angels, and snowflakes adorned the streetlight posts along the quiet sidewalks of the town. The department store windows were dressed with murals of wintry scenes and artificial snow. To Ben, it was a winter wonderland, and his eyes sparkled as brightly as the lights that were strung across the streets. A woman in a Santa hat stood outside of the grocery store ringing a bell and asking for donations for the needy. Terry reached into his pocket and pulled out a few loose coins. He handed them to Ben and told him to put them in her shiny red bucket. Ben looked confused as to why they were giving their money away when they didn't have money for themselves. Terry placed his hand on his son's shoulder and said, There's always someone who's having a harder time than us. Let's be cheerful givers. Ben smiled and shoved his hands into his own pockets and pulled out a quarter he was saving for the gumball machine. He placed it in the bucket as well. His dad grinned and nodded to the woman. She looked as though her heart was warmed by Ben's generosity 
and smiled back. I get off at nine. Am I supposed to just walk home? Asked Casey. No, no. I'll be here to walk with you, said Terry. Me too, echoed Ben. Casey rolled her eyes and ducked her head as she walked inside. Terry stopped her. Wait, he said. She turned around somewhat annoyed. Thank you for working so hard for our family, sweetheart. I love you, and I'm very proud of you. We're going to get through this together. She was embarrassed and and said, Whatever, it's fine. I gotta go. See you at nine, yelled Terry. As she walked through the automatic doors, she threw up a hand and waved them off. Terry, forgetting about the lighting of the Christmas tree, looked down at Ben and asked, Well, I guess we should go back home. What do you think? Yes, sir. That's okay, I guess. He stared at the crowd gathered around the big Christmas tree in front of the library. It was the biggest one in town, and the lighting ceremony was about to commence. Then Terry remembered the tree and noticed that the festivities had caught Ben's attention and said, Would you like to go over to the library? It looks like they're about to light the Christmas tree. Ben excitedly agreed. Ten, nine, eight, seven, the crowd chanted. Ben was dying to get closer, so he asked if they could you know, run ahead. Terry agreed and trotted behind him, pushing him through the barricaded streets. Four, three, two, one. The tree erupted with light as the brass section of the high school marching band played O Christmas Tree from the gazebo in the median. The Methodist Church youth group had a table where they were serving hot chocolate from orange and white coolers. The ladies with red hats and silver sashes walked through the crowd, handing out Christmas cookies to anyone who was interested. Ben looked at his dad for permission and eagerly took a cookie when Terry nodded in approval. The town's poet laureate, Julius Abrams, stepped up to the podium and gathered everyone's attention. He was a tall man with a full salt-and-peppered beard that covered his chin but was shaved above his upper lip. The top hat and overcoat he wore made him look taller and more distinguished but somewhat out of place. He would have fit nicely in a time with cobblestone streets and horse-drawn carriages, but in Madisonville he stood out and looked peculiar. Terry thought that perhaps that was his goal and he therefore accomplished it. Julius tapped the microphone, and it shrieked. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention? The crowd hushed. Tonight marks Madisonville's 100th anniversary on the lighting of the town Tannenbaum. He exclaimed, and the crowd cheered. Hear, hear, he said. I would like to thank Madisonville High School Jazz Band for their wonderful rendition of O Christmas Tree, the First Methodist Church Youth Group for the delightful hot cocoa, and the Ladies in Red for the delectable cookies. He covered the mic and said coolly, I only had four myself. <laughs> the crowd chuckled. But what am I most excited about this year is the return of the Madisonville Christmas Pageant. The crowd gasped and cheered. 
It had been ten years since there was a citywide Christmas production at the local theater. And who better to resurrect this timeless tradition than Julius Abrams? Julius was an author, playwright, director, and an actor. He performed off-Broadway with a theater company for a couple of years when he lived in New York as a young man, but moved to the South when he married Josephine, a Southern belle and Madisonville debutante whose family owned a large peanut farm outside of town. For years, Julius directed the annual Christmas pageant and the entire town of Madisonville seemingly showed up for the occasion. But it had been ten years since he had stepped away from the theater. And it was ten years ago that Josephine had passed away after a long bout with cancer. After she died, Julius abandoned the theater altogether. But this year he decided to return in grandiose fashion with a citywide Christmas pageant equipped with livestock and fake snow. Ben tugged on his dad's arm. Daddy, can I be in that? Be in what? Can I be in the Christmas play? Terry looked bewildered. You want to be in a play? Ben nodded his head. Yes, it sounds like fun. Well, I don't know, buddy. We'll have to see how much it costs. We don't have a lot of extra money these days. Ben hung his head and sunk his shoulders. But... I tell you what, if, if we can afford it, I'll let you try out. Ben's smile returned and Terry noticed. Suddenly he was determined to find the money no matter what it took so that his son could be in the play. I guess we should sign up or something, huh? Terry pushed Ben to the library entrance and found the Christmas pageant flyer on the bulletin board along the wall of the foyer. Twenty dollars. That's what the flyer said was the cost to be in the production and 20 more dollars than Ben had at the moment. Ben's longing eyes looked up at his dad and he asked, Is 20 too much, Daddy? I can try to, to do chores in the neighborhood to earn it. I will do anything. Is it too much? Although Ben was limited physically, he was never one to shy away from a challenge or obstacles. He waited anxiously for a reply. Terry placed his hands on Ben's shoulders and said, You know, I think we can find $20. But I might take you up on your offer to do chores. There are some leaves in the driveway that could use a blowing and they're getting out of hand this year. Ben's face lit up and he threw his arms around his dad's waist with a thousand thank yous. Terry wasn't sure where he'd find the money, but he was going to try his hardest. He had faith that something would turn up. Tryouts were later that week, and Ben was so excited that he hadn't been able to sleep for days. The three of them left the house, Casey for work and Ben and Terry for tryouts. Not long after they'd left, the wind began to blow and the rain began to fall. Unprepared from the sudden downpour, they quickened their pace and arrived downtown in record time, but extremely wet. Ben and Terry whooped and hollered the entire as if they were on a roller coaster. After parting ways with Casey, Terry and Ben continued to the library. 
Terry's shoes and Ben's tires squeaked along the worn hardwood floors on the quiet library. Much to the librarian's dismay, their squeaky steps disrupted the silence of the hallowed rows of books. The auditions were upstairs in the community room, where small performances and group readings took place. Not like the grand theater with red curtains that was connected to the library through the lobby. Terry searched for an elevator. It was an old building, and there was not one to be found. Ben, it looks like I'm going to have to carry you upstairs. You ready? Terry hoisted Ben out of his seat and cradled him in his massive arms. Together, they walked up the cracking stairs. It was a musty room that smelled of mothballs and dust. Chairs with children anticipating their turn to try out lined the walls. Ben and his dad made quite the scene when they entered the room. They were the only ones drenched from head to toe, and all eyes were on them as they searched for an empty seat. Terry sat Ben in a metal folding chair and fled to retrieve his wheelchair downstairs. Once he returned, they waited for what seemed like an eternity until Ben's name was called. Terry rolled Ben to the back room where Mr. Julius stood at the door staring at a clipboard. He looked them up and down from head to toe, and with no emotion on his face, he said, You can wait downstairs. Oh, okay. How long should I wait? Terry asked. Julius looked over the top of his thin-rimmed glasses and said, I would, would recommend waiting until the end of the audition. That is, unless you want to ruin your son's chances of landing a part in the play. But if you're in a hurry and need to forfeit his audition, there's always next year. Or not. It's up to you. Oh, oh no. I just meant I wouldn't want to do that. Take all the time you need. I'll wait downstairs. Ben looked relieved and handed Terry his dripping wet coat. Terry mouthed, Good luck, and gave him a thumbs up. As he creaked his way downstairs, he approached the front desk. He rung the silver bell with a quick tap. The flustered librarian walked over and dampened the shrill bell with her cupped hand. How may I help you? Um, yes, I've never been here before, he said sheepishly. But I noticed you have computers in that room over there. Can anyone just use those? Yes, anyone with a library card can just use those, she said. Do you have a library card? Terry ran his fingers through his thinning strawberry blonde hair and sighed through his teeth. I'm afraid not, he said, as he patted the counter with his fidgety hands. He'd never felt so out of place in his whole life. Would you like to sign up for a library card, she asked. I don't know, he started. What all is involved in that? He knew he didn't have the money to purchase anything and didn't want to get too far in before finding out the financial commitment of a library card. I just need some information. Your home address, a phone number, and... An email address. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure. He stammered. It's free, sir. If that's what you're worried about. Terry's eyes softened. 
and his interest reignited. Okay, then, I guess let's, let's sign up. Do those computers have the internet? The librarian smiled and nodded yes as she typed his information into her computer. Once she was finished, she handed him a paper card and said, This is your temporary card. You can pick up your permanent card tomorrow, or we can mail it to you, whichever you would prefer. I'll pick it up tomorrow, he said with a quick rapping on the countertop with his hands. Now, do you mind showing me how to get on the Internet on one of those computers? She smiled and shook her head at his perceived helplessness that she was convinced was an affront to his actual ability. Terry spent the next hour looking for jobs and applying for anything he felt qualified for, and (laughs) some he was not. Before long, the librarian tapped him on his shoulder and told him that they were finished with the auditions upstairs. He logged off and quickly ran upstairs to get Ben. Ben was waiting for him at the top of the stairs. How'd it go, buddy? Terry asked. Good, I guess, he replied. We'll know tomorrow. They're posting the results at five tomorrow night in the foyer. If we get a part, we're just supposed to stay and practice. Can we come back to check tomorrow at five? You betcha, said Terry, as he heaved Ben into his arms and walked downstairs. Can we stay at the library for a little while, Dad? I don't see why not. We don't have anywhere else to be, and your sister doesn't get off for another couple of hours. Terry sat Ben in a leather club chair in a small reading nook along the wall and returned upstairs to get his wheelchair. As he was folding it to carry it downstairs, Julius walked out of the back room. Ah, Mr. Hopewell, started Julius. Might I suggest you bring your son a raincoat or an umbrella on the off chance it should rain again? He snarked. I don't want my costumes to become damp and mildewed because of your negligence. Terry looked up. About that, I'm, I'm really sorry. We had to walk here, and it's my fault. I should have checked the weather report and walked, questioned Julius. Yeah, we're, we're without a vehicle right now, and I see. Julius looked lost in thought as he stretched his hands into his leather gloves and pondered Terry's words. Very well. Good night. Mr. Abrams, called Terry as Julius started walking downstairs in his top hat and cane. Julius paused without turning to look at Terry. Just going by what you said, does that mean Ben got a part in the play? I mean, we understand if he didn't, you know, with his disability and all. Julius turned quickly and pointed his cane at Terry's face. The only thing that's going to disable your son is you, if you don't stop asking me stupid questions. Terry, being hardened from his work in the construction industry and accustomed to encounters with egocentric men, was not intimidated by Mr. Abrams. But he was somewhat taken back by his aggressiveness. Meekly and somewhat antagonistic, Terry asked, So, do you think he will get a part? Julius huffed and bounded down the stairs with his long black raincoat flowing like a cape. The results will be posted tomorrow at five. 
As Julius dashed out of sight, Terry repositioned the wheelchair in his arms and noticed a wallet on the stairs. He picked it up. It was Julius's and full of cash. There must have been $300 in $20 bills. A couple of steps further down, he noticed another $20 bill on the steps. Terry was hesitant and considered not telling anyone about the money. He could place it in his pocket and nobody would ever know. He thought about the $20 he might need if Ben were to get the part in the play. He thought about the long hours Casey was working to help her family. But then Terry thought about Ben and the kind of man he wanted him to become. A man of integrity and honesty. And he just couldn't bring himself to pocket the money. Instead, he opened the wallet and placed the loose $20 next to the others in the fold. The next day, Ben was so excited and could not wait to check out the bulletin board for the results. He waited by the door for an hour before they were supposed to leave and must have asked his dad a hundred times if it was time to go. Once Casey was finished getting ready, they were off as soon as they reached the highway. Casey realized she'd forgotten her phone. Dad, I've got to go back. I can't be without my phone. I'm going to be so late, she griped. Ben was anxious and didn't want to turn around. He knew they'd be late if they did and didn't want to risk missing rehearsal if he were to get a part in the play. Mr. Abrams had made it very clear that tardiness would not be tolerated and said that he would lock the doors at five minutes after. He protested, but nevertheless, they all turned around and quickly ran back home. After Casey retrieved her phone, they once again trekked to the town, all the while the clock was ticking. Terry was jogging as fast as possible, but was still concerned with his children's safety along the highway, and winced at every passing car. The clock ticked. They were still a few minutes away when the bell at the city hall rang out for the five o'clock hour. It was a haunting sound to Ben, and one that assured him that he would be late. They said goodbye to Casey mid-trot to the grocery store and continued to the library to check the results. They'd checked the bulletin board and were elated as they scrolled down the list of names to see Ben Hopewell listed as playing the part of Joseph. Congratulations, Ben, exclaimed Terry. He looked at his watch. We've got to get you upstairs right now. What's the use? said Ben, who was visibly deflated and forlorn. We're too late. He's already locked the door. We've still got time, Terry said. And in the same motion of locking Ben's tires, he scooped him up and was running through the library. He leapt up the stairs with ease as if Ben was weightless in his arms. When he reached the top of the stairs, they lunged for the door and heard the deafening sound of a deadbolt being latched on the other side. See, I told you, mumbled Ben. Let's go home. Not a chance, buddy. His watch is a minute fast, said Terry. He sat Ben in one of the metal folding chairs and knocked on the locked door, but no answer. 
He knocked again, but this time much harder and louder. Still, no answer. He knocked a third time, and it seemed as though his powerful fist were going to tear the door down when an irritated Mr. Abrams flung open the door with a scowl. Terry smiled at him and said, Joseph is here for rehearsal. It's too late. He's already been replaced because of your negligence and tardiness. He's lost his part because you were irresponsible and late to my rehearsal. Good day, sir. Julius tried to slam the door, but it was met with the immovable force of Terry's strong arm. Terry reached into his pocket and pulled out Julius's wallet. You seem to have dropped this yesterday on your way out. I wanted to return it to you. Julius, surprised to see his lost wallet, jerked it from Terry's hands. Immediately, he opened it and counted the rows of twenty. This is not the amount that was in my wallet, demanded Julius. What have you done? You're right, Mr. Abrams. After I found your wallet, I also found a twenty-dollar bill on the ground not, not far away. I assumed it was yours and put it in with the others. I apologize for opening it. But I didn't want you to think someone had stolen any of your money. Ben's face was aglow as he admired his father's integrity. Julius looked, he looked sheepish. His hardened face was relaxed and his eyes had softened. He gazed at Ben with a look that had turned from contempt to compassion. I see, he said to the Hopewells. He looked at his watch again and tapped the face. I've been meaning to get this old watch battery replaced. It seems to be running a little fast. A look of relief came over Terry's face. I guess you should join us at rehearsal, since you're already here and such, Julius said under his breath. I'll go get his chair, said Terry with a satisfied grin on his face. No hurry said Julius. We'll just wait on you to get started. I'll be back in a flash, said Terry. No need to keep you waiting. Terry returned with the bench chair, but couldn't help but notice the help wanted sign on the bulletin board. It was a security guard position for the evening shift at the library during the holidays. He tore it off the wall and carried it with him upstairs to the community room. After rehearsal was over, Terry greeted Ben upstairs. Julius was pushing Ben slowly, and they were chatting about the play. Ben's eyes were bright and attentive at every word Julius spoke. Julius noticed the help-wanted flyer in Terry's hand. How was practice? asked Terry. He's a natural, encouraged Julius. A perfect fit for noble Joseph. Ben smiled. Julius pointed the flyer and said, I see you found their notice. They decided to hire a watchman for the holidays this year, you know, with the children's rehearsals and increased traffic in the evenings. Terry looked down, having forgotten it was still in his grip. He said, Oh, this? Yeah, I'm, I'm in between jobs right now and thought this would be a good fit since we're spending so much time here anyway. I'm going to give them a call tomorrow and see if it's 
That's still available. No need for that. The job is yours, said Julius. Come again, asked Terry. The job is yours if you'd like it, continued Julius. I know they're looking for someone who is honest and full of integrity. And it doesn't hurt that you're an imposing figure either. It's from five to nine each night, and it only pays $15 an hour. Will that work? Of course. It's perfect. When do I start? Great. I'll tell them you're the man for the job. You'll start tomorrow night, he said. Five o'clock. Don't be late, he joked. I'll be there. And Julius, I guess I need to settle up with you for the money we owe since Ben landed a part in the play. Asked Terry. You see, it's just that. Do you think I could I could pay you after I get my first paycheck? Things are things are a little tight right now. Ben's face fell and Terry looked embarrassed. No need. It's been taken care of, said Julius. There's been an anonymous donor who has covered it for you. Julius winked at Ben. Terry was touched because he knew the anonymous donor was Julius. Well, if you see this anonymous donor, tell him or her thank you. Three weeks of practice quickly passed and Christmas Eve was upon them. The day of the performance. The night of the pageant was electric. The town was buzzing and People showed up in droves. Ben performed his role perfectly, and although the snowmaker malfunctioned and one of the donkeys defecated in the aisle, it was a huge success. Julius could be heard from the back exclaiming, Forget the poo! The show must go on! The crowd burst into laughter when they heard Julius's shout as one of the shepherds attempted to clean the mess. The entire town of Madisonville was seemingly there and gave a standing ovation when it was over. Even the grocery store closed down for the night and Casey was able to attend. Terry watched from the back row and kept watch over the lobby at the same time. When it was over, Terry and Casey rushed to the front row and showered Ben with hugs. Terry knelt beside him and said, Ben... I'm so proud of you, son. And you know what? Terry paused and choked back tears. Your mother would be so proud of you, too. Not just for your role in the play, but for the young man you're becoming. There was so much more he wanted to say, but the tears welling up in his eyes and the lump in his throat prevented him from saying anything else. The crowds dispersed, and the Hopewells stayed at the library until Terry's shift ended at seven, since the play and rehearsals were over for the year. Since feeling the warmth of the Christmas spirit, they took the long way home through a neighboring street that was known for its display of Christmas lights in their yards. Surprisingly, Casey wanted to push Ben and Terry let her. As they strolled through the neighborhood with twinkling lights all around, Terry had an idea. Let's sing Christmas carols, you know, like we used to do with Mom around the Christmas tree. Would you like that? It could be, it could be a new tradition we start, 
a walk through the neighborhood while singing carols. That'd be fun, right? Asked Terry, searching for a way to redeem the sadness of the holidays. Casey looked up with tears in her eyes and rosy cheeks. In this light, she looked just like her mother to Terry. His eyes became teary as well when she nodded yes and said that she'd like that. After they fumbled through a few songs with sniffles and snorts, they began to laugh at the bumbling mess they'd become and how terrible they were at singing carols. Nevertheless, they pressed on and sang as loudly as they could. Homeowners stepped outside and joined in the caroling as they passed. House after house, they sang until their hearts were full. When they reached the end of the street, Terry noticed a man sitting at a table alone. It was Julius. Full of joy, Terry gathered his family at the door and knocked. As Julius opened the door, his confused look turned into glee as he found the Hopewells singing Silent Night. He joined in their song with his mighty baritone voice and applauded them when it was over. Bravo, bravo, said Julius. But what on earth are you doing here? He asked. We were just in the neighborhood admiring the lights and singing Christmas carols when I noticed that you lived here, Terry said. I hope we aren't interrupting you. Well, I was just sitting down for dinner, but it's no imposition to sing a Christmas carol with friends, said Julius. In fact, will you join me? There's more food than I'll ever eat at one sitting. Normally, Terry would refuse and go about his business, but he'd learned to swallow his pride and accept any gesture of charity here lately. Kids, would you like to join Mr. Abrams for dinner? They did not protest, and in fact, Ben was elated. Casey helped Julia serve plates and noticed that a photograph was displayed at the opposite end of the table where Julius sat. Oh, no need to fix my sweet Josephina plate. It's just a sentimental gesture. I found that it helps me through the holidays. We enjoy our Christmas Eve meal together like we used to, but there's no sense in getting carried away and wasting a perfectly good plate of food. Terry was touched. I understand, he said. That's what we were trying to do with our caroling tonight. You see, my bride of 20 years passed away two years ago in a car accident. We were just trying to redeem the sadness a little. Julius furrowed his brow and his eyes softened. He nodded and said, Redeeming her death? I've never heard it put that way. But that was exactly my same sentiment as I resurrected the Christmas pageant this year. It was something she would have wanted me to do. And we're so glad you did, Mr. Abrams, said Ben with a mouth full of macaroni and cheese. Julius smiled. Me too, noble Joseph, he winked at Ben. They continued their meal and were enthralled with Julius's stories of New York and the theater. After what seemed like hours, Julius instructed the children to put a record on while he and Terry cleaned the dishes. In the kitchen, Julius and Terry stacked dishes and wiped the countertops. 
Julius paused and said, You know, Terry, started Julius, you've managed to learn in two years what it took me ten to understand. How have you stayed so hopeful and optimistic? Terry wasn't sure how to respond, but he thought about it on many occasions, so he tried to put it into words. Julius, every day I wake up and I feel like a piece of me is missing. Every day I reach to the other side of the bed and am met with a cold and empty void where my bride once slept. It takes everything inside me to get out of bed knowing that I have to face this world without her. But then I look at my two beautiful children and think, their mama is dead, but I'm not and have to just keep on living. Not existing, but living. You know, really living, so that their childhood isn't ruined any more than necessary. As their daddy, I've realized that my attitude affects them more than any other thing in this world. And if I can be hopeful, and have faith that God has a plan even though things are messy, and that everything will be all right in the end, they will start to believe it, too. Julius was fascinated at Terry's faith and amazed at his resolve. Terry continued, So, I try to say yes to more things even when it's an inconvenience. I try to find joy even in the rain. And I try to look past my current state of affairs, knowing that my treasure is not of this earth. Right or wrong, it's all I know to do, and I try to make it one day at a time. But deep down, I'm fighting demons of fear like the rest of us. Julius was touched. His mind raced, and memories of his beloved Josephine filled his heart. He smiled. Life is one big pageant, isn't it? One grand pageant, suggested Julius. And as we say in the theater, the show must go on, right? Even when the donkeys defecate on your stage. That's it, Terry laughed. <laughs> by the grace of God, one day at a time, day after day, moment by moment, the show must go on, echoed Terry. That's what our lost loved ones would want. And that's what our present loved ones need. We thank you so much for taking time to listen to this story. This story, um, the Christmas pageant, comes from a book, The Fireside Tales for Christmas by Brian Gill. You can find... Uh, you can find a copy of this on Amazon. You can find the link on our website. Uh, for more content and uh, information about the podcast, please visit uh, thestoriedoutdoors.com. If you've enjoyed this story um, and other podcasts, we'd, we would, gosh, we would be so blessed if you would share this with, uh, share this with a friend, um, share, uh, Share our podcast, help spread the word, even leave us a review, which is really especially a great way to help us grow the podcast is leaving a review and a rating on your favorite podcast platform. 
Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from folks. Uh, you can shoot us an email to thestoriedoutdoors at gmail.com. And all of these notes can be found in the show notes and on our website. So we hope, uh, we hope this story encouraged you. We hope you were able to sit um, perhaps around a crackling fire yourself with, uh, with some hot cocoa in hand and listen to a wonderful story. We hope it encourages you. We hope it challenges you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors. <laughs>